and I'm going to share my screen and I hope this works for everybody. So is everybody able to see a screen now shared with you that says that time Paul was on lockdown, how Philippians helps us survive a pandemic. I'm hoping you're able to see that. Can somebody nod at me if you can see it? Okay, great. So um, remember, remaining relationally connected is hugely important, but horizontal is not enough. We need God to speak into everything in our lives, including what do we do in a season and a situation like this? Jesus taught us we cannot live on bread alone. We can't do it, but we need every word that God has given us nourishing, shaping, exhorting, encouraging us. So we're going to go to scripture together, even in this season. Um, as your pastors, we were thinking, where would we go to love our people, to give them some handles with how can we survive and even maybe thrive in an unprecedented season like this? Uh, pandemic is what this has been labeled. We get that word from Greek. It means all of the people all of them, pandemos, pandemic, which means that this is touching everybody in a unique way. And like us in mass, we have been put on lockdown. Schools are closed. Gatherings are closed. Um, so what we thought to do was to say, hey, there is a letter in the Bible that was written by Jesus' apostle Paul when he was on lockdown. And so we're going to work through the spirit, the ethos, the sense of what was in his soul and it, on his heart in a time that we're going through in a dissimilar but similar way together. So we would love if, as long as this lockdown lasts, one of the places that you are anchoring your soul is the letter to the Philippians. It's real short. You can listen to it literally in one shower, if you want, on your iPhone, on one jog and become familiar with it, and at least let this be one place, there's many, one place where our souls are finding um, some hope and some help. So the book of Philippians, that time Paul was on lockdown, what can we learn from this together? All right, let me set some of the context with you, and I'll click through some of this. Um, this will help you hear the words. So where is Paul writing from? Any of our kids have an answer to this question? Where is Paul writing this letter from? You can unmute and let us know. Jesus. Jail. Jail. He's writing it from Jesus. That is Jail. That is it. <laughs> deeply theological statement on our union with Christ. So yes, Paul is writing this from in Jesus, but also from jail. So the writing of this letter happened when he was in prison in the city of Rome. We want you to feel that right off the bat. It is written from a place of difficulty, uncertainty, fear. Who knows what's coming next? He's locked up. Why is he in jail? It is not because he's committed a crime or broken a, a law of God. 
it's because he's been preaching the gospel. And in that first generation of the church, to preach that Jesus is Lord and our allegiance is to be to him in a unique way could get you in big time trouble. And so Jesus' apostle Paul has been imprisoned. He is in jail. That's where this letter is coming from, a difficult hardship. It's the billionth time scripture teaches us that to follow Jesus does not mean everything goes smooth and easy. All right, next question. What are you expecting his frame of mind to be? So I just jotted down three things. You may have some more. For sure, we could see him being confused, frustrated, or angry with God. Here I am preaching the gospel, risking my life, doing what you call me to do, and you've allowed me to be put on lockdown and my voice to be silenced and all the difficulties that would have come with being in a Roman prison. The second thing I wrote down immediately was we could see him being depressed. Oh man, everything has just been taken away from me. I don't know when I'm getting out of here. My life is no longer in my own control at all. It's dark, it's cold, it's nasty. Um, I'm gonna get down. I'm gonna become depressed. We could see that. And then the third thing that I wrote was paralyzed. I know that a ton of people are feeling that right now. Um, I've talked with a bunch of pastors who have been like, I have no idea how to lead my people. I feel like I, I don't know where to move, what direction to go. I'm on lockdown. There's nothing that I can do in some real ways. And so I just feel frozen. Um, angry, depressed, paralyzed. I think all of us could go. It would not surprise us if that's what the letter to the Philippians sounds like. And yet we don't get any of that. It's going to blow your mind and take your breath away to feel the glory of this letter because we get exactly the opposite. So for one thing, he leans into God. He throws himself into the mercy, the grace, the peace of God, does not withdraw, but leans right into him. For another thing, he is breathtakingly joyful and hopeful. Wait till you read this letter. He is rejoicing and he is calling them to rejoice. And he's going, I got no doubt at all that there's bright days in my future. There is a shocking optimism in lockdown that we're going to feel in this letter. And then the third thing is he doesn't get paralyzed at all. He is active in a bunch of ways. So you're going to see that he is literally evangelizing all of the security guards and the prison guards and talking with them about the gospel. And obviously, another thing that he does when he is under lockdown is he writes a letter. And so he does not get paralyzed, but he goes, hey, if I am in lockdown, I am going to move toward God. I'm going to have joy in my soul, and I'm going to be about the work of the gospel, even if it's going to look in a different form. Okay, I could stop talking right now and just say, let's go do those things. Let's lean into God. 
let's maintain an optimism and a joy in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. And let's be about the work of the gospel, even if the rhythms are going to be different. So please feel that Paul does that. All right. Now what we're going to do is say, let's talk about the letter we're about to learn through together, that he writes this letter to these people. All right. Why is he writing this specific church a letter? He loved this church. In one of his first missionary church planning journeys, this is the church that got birthed in the city of Philippi. They had a wild beginning. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And his soul was knit together with their souls. And this church that began just with a few women at a prayer meeting in a van down by the river became a strong, wonderful, beautiful, viable missional church. And so they are on Paul's heart while he is in prison. But it's even more than that. Um, when someone was imprisoned in this day, their food, their supplies, their pillow and blankets, their um, iPad with Disney Plus, that came from benefactors, from family. They weren't given that. They needed someone to help take care of them. Do you know who it was? The only church that sent Paul a pillow and a blanket and a cloak and something to read and food to eat. It was the church at Philippi. They're the ones who supported him during this lockdown. And so he's not only writing to encourage them, he is writing to thank them for remembering him and for being so dear to him. And so you can imagine him eating some of that food, pulling that blanket around his shoulders, maybe grabbing the pen and parchment that they had sent him, and he is writing back to them. All right, all we're going to do is look at the first two verses as a means of whetting your appetite to spend some time in chapter one this week. I'm going to put them up on the screen, and we're going to orient you to some of this. All right, here's how the letter starts. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. All right, I need a help from another one of our children, Tatum, Annabelle, Judah, Callie, somebody. When we write a letter in our culture, when does the person put who it is from? Where do they put that in the letter? Anybody know? Is that the beginning? On the envelope. Yes, they put it on the envelope. That's totally true. Awesome. All right, now let's say that you open the envelope and you... You got a letter from someone. Where in the letter do they tell you? At the you? bottom. Yes, at the end. That's how we do it in our culture. What? In the first century, that's not how they did it. And their way makes way more sense, doesn't it? When you start it, it tells you who it's from at the beginning. And of course, Judah nailed it in our day. We would use an envelope or uh, an email address to trigger that. So that's why in all the letters in your Bible, the first thing it says is who it is from. And this one says it is from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is a great surprise. Usually, Paul begins his letters with the word apostle. He says, I'm writing to you because I am an apostle. 
That would have been the title that showed his credentials. I don't know if you've been watching videos either live or on social media of coronavirus experts, but when the host introduces them, what's the first thing they do? They give you their credentials to say, this person is worth listening to. That's why Paul usually starts his letters with apostle, exerting his authority and saying, Jesus is the one who has told me to write to you. But in this letter, he doesn't do that. He says, servant. Um, what is a servant? Servant is like this really beautiful but low word. Um, it signifies at least two things. One is, I don't own myself. I belong to somebody else. I am in this to serve and make much of another. And part of Paul's identity was saying, I am a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one I belong to. In our day, we would find that to be demeaning, but Christians know that is an incredibly life-giving title for us. We don't belong to anyone but Christ. Nobody else has sway over us but Christ. Our allegiance is to him. We are his. The other thing that servant means is one who exists for the good of another, that it is the interest of another or others that's central to them. They're not in this for themselves, but for others. And so Paul is probably reminded of this himself. I am on lockdown. I am a nobody. I am just a servant of Jesus, and he can do with me as he wants. But you're also going to see that this is one of the themes of the whole letter, that to be Jesus's people means to take on the identity of being servants. In fact, the only other time you're going to see this word in the book is to describe Jesus. He calls him, he emptied himself and made himself a servant. And so the big theme of this book is that we would see ourselves living out the story of Christ as nobodies who belong to a greater master, to God, and to God in Christ. And so Paul is beginning here, not by asserting his authority, but his humility and saying, I am a servant. And we follow in those footsteps. Then there's something else totally weird in here that we want you to feel. He doesn't just say this letter is from Paul. He says it's from Paul and Timothy. The reason that you'll find that especially weird is because in the whole rest of the book, it doesn't sound like it's from Timothy at all. Paul uses the first person over and over again. In fact, he talks about Timothy later in the third person. So you might be like, how in the world is this letter also from Timothy? It's actually just from Paul. Um, two things to think about there. So one, we've experienced this with our book already, right? When I talk with anybody about what church can be, I say, we wrote a book. And then very often I'm getting pushback and they're going, wait a minute, who wrote it? Didn't you write it? Did anyone else write it? How's this working? So then I have to walk them through why the language of we, Seven Mile Road, we wrote a book makes sense, even though it was actually me who did 100% of the actual writing. And I'm telling people that's because our book does not exist without everyone at Seven Mile Road. If there's no everybody at Seven Mile Road, there's no book. 
That's one of the things we want to feel here. Paul will often begin his letter citing multiple authors, even though he's the one author, because there is no gospel ministry without Timothy. There is no Paul without Timothy. There is no writing of this letter without Timothy. And so we want to feel that. And then the other thing we want you to feel is that Timothy is an incredible example of a servant. So later in the letter, you will see Paul say, hey, uh, love to Timothy, because I have nobody like him. No one works from the interest of others more than Timothy does. And so it would make sense if he's writing a book about servanthood, that he thinks of the greatest servant he knows and has done ministry with him and says, he is an example of what I want my readers to become. And so I'm going to include his name in this greeting so that they might see not just me, but Timothy behind all of this, because Timothy is the shining example. All right. So this letter is from Paul and Timothy, and here's who it's to. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Paul loves this word, saints. He uses saints like we use the word wicked. He just peppers it in hundreds of times in his writings. Saints, 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 saints. He almost never, only one time does he use this word in the singular, saint. He's, and even there, he's referring to every saint. So he is always using the word saints in the plural. If you have a Roman Catholic background, this might sound weird to you because you may be used to hearing saint in the individual. Saint Dominic Savio was the patron saint of the high school that I went to. Saint Anthony is supposedly the saint who helps you find stuff when you lost it. Saint in that parlance is meaning these are like the varsity Christians right here. These are the ones who are just like really figured it out and we're awesome. And most of us could never be called saint. That's only for the rock stars. That's a totally unbiblical way of hearing the word saint. All of us are saints, plural. And that's because our sainthood has more to do with the calling of God to make us holy. That's what the word means, holy or set apart. And the fact that being a saint does not being perfect or pretty close. It just means having the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith through the gospel, that we are now in a different category of person set apart to bear fruit to the glory of God. So when you hear the word saints, make sure that you're hearing that includes me by the grace of God. We are all set apart for his glory. And please feel the humility of Paul. He gets a bad rap. People say that he's a misogynist, arrogant, power-tripping loser. It's not true. Just in these two verses, he has given the people the exalted title of saints, and he has given himself the lowly title of servant. So feel the humility of the apostle in his greeting to lower himself and to lift us up. All right? And then he says, not just to the saints, but also to the overseers and the deacons. This is a beautiful little insight into how Jesus wants his church to be led and governed. Overseers there is a synonymous term with pastors and with elders. 
These are the men in the life of the church who act like good dads, who are above reproach, who take responsibility for the life and the mission and the doctrine of the church, uniquely set apart to teach and to guard the doctrine, to shepherd the people of God, and to govern and lead. Deacons uh, are a little less clear than overseers, elders, shepherds in scripture, but clearly there was also an office of those who would come alongside the pastors to help them accomplish the mission of God. This is the only time that Paul says overseers and deacons get a special shout out at the start of the letter. Why? Well, we think it's because he is holding on to the food and the clothes and the materials that he just received from this church. And everybody knows that if a church was to do something like this, it's the pastors and the deacons who would have been behind it and on board with it. That doesn't mean the idea would have come from them. It could have come from anyone in the congregation, but for the funds to be expended, expended, for the person to be sent on the trip to deliver them, for this to happen means the overseers and the deacons were on board. And so you can feel Paul thanking them for their godly leadership of this church in serving him in this way. And we want to feel his love and the way that he feels love and cared for. So just as an aside, if you are an officer of this church, these words in scripture should blow you away and call you to take dead seriously that we will be about good gospel work for the good of others outside of our church and the blessing that intends for that to be. All right, then he finishes the letter, the opening of the letter with this benediction, with this good word, and he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, snap. So you should just let those words wash over you right here. Um, for one thing, please feel the ongoing need for grace and for peace in the gospel life. We didn't just get that the day that we were converted or the day that we stepped into this thing. It is an absolute constant need for us to experience grace. And in a pandemic, to straight up receive peace. Please feel the bi-directional nature of this, right? The grace and the peace is coming to who? To us who are fragile and frantic and scared and uncertain and weak. We're the ones who need to receive it. But who is the grace and the peace coming from? Not from Paul. He's just a servant. I mean, it's good for us to have affirming words to one another. Praise God. But we need grace and peace from outside of the pandemic, from outside of just you and me. We need a greater source of grace and peace. And the gospel promises it to us. Paul says it like this, from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I need you to feel the strength in that part of this letter. You are supposed to feel the certainty of grace and peace. I know we haven't all had great dads, but think of a dad when he's functioning at his best. 
He is bringing strength and certainty into our lives. And Paul says, there's grace and peace coming to you from the archetype of fatherhood, from the good and great and loving and all-powerful father. He's the one who gives us grace and peace. And then he gives us this exalted title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, boom, boom. He drops all three of them together. We're supposed to feel the weight of that. Christ who was crucified is Christ who was risen, is Christ who was ascended. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, even over coronaviruses. He is the Lord of all, and he is the one who gives us grace and peace. And so let that benediction wash over you right now. And let it wash over you as you begin to give yourself to these words of scripture. God intends for us to be receiving his grace and his peace through the words of this text and by the power of his spirit. So we are going to do that together. All right. What we would love for you to do now is to take the first chapter, at least of Philippians and swim in there. Think about it, highlight it, circle thoughts, write down notes, and let's as Seven Mile Road Melrose anyway, allow these words of scripture to just crash over our souls, to, to steal up our backs. And remember, not for our own good, but because we are to be servants of all, what will it look like for you to be a servant in your home right now, thinking of the interest of others? And what will it look like for our church to be a servant as things start to unroll here because this is who Christ was and this is who we get to be. All right, let me pray for this and we'll wrap up our time in word and prayer. Father, your word is alive and this is how you've intended for this to work. Your apostle writing these words in lockdown thousands of years ago, speaking to everyone who will ever be in lockdown again. We receive your grace and your love for us in that space. It's such a gift. Uh, I pray that our souls would be energized by the truth that's in these words. I pray that every dad and mom, every son and daughter, every grown-up and teenager and kid in the life of this church during this lockdown would be a great servant, that the interest of others would trump the interest of self, that we would be Christ to one another. And I pray that our city would find our church to be incredibly concerned with them and with the good of all. Uh, I pray that anybody who would either be confused or depressed or paralyzed because of the coronavirus, I pray that they would have a huge vision of the love of God and the power of God and the gospel of God and the future of God and that they would be freed up to be about the work of the gospel in loving whoever is before them and being like Christ and in that having joy and giving you glory. Would you please come and do and accomplish this in and through us in this season? I pray that you would do it. I ask. Amen. All right. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I'm going to